0: You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Redemption. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you've been attending in person or you've been watching us online over the past few weeks, you know that we're going through a series called Love Relationship and the church. And one of the things we've been doing each week is we've been looking at key verses in chapter in John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35. So let's look at those as we start off today. A new command I give you, it says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is saying that it's pretty important how we love one another because that affects our witness with the watching world. And so it's important that we get this right, right? So over the past few weeks, we've been learning about what it means to love each other, uh, to love others. We've been looking at the good news of Jesus and how that impacts how we love others. We've been looking at the example of Jesus and how he has loved others. And so uh, a few weeks ago, we started off this this series uh, with a message on friendship, We then talked about singleness, and then we uh, last week talked about marriage. Today, we're going to talk about parenting. So my wife and I, we've been parents for over 22 years, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, the older that my kids get, the less I feel I know about how to parent them. Any of you uh, feel that as parents? Uh, you know, it's really interesting to, you know, to be able to talk about the principles of parenting, you know, it's a whole lot easier than living them out day to day, isn't it? And, you know, one pastor who has grown kids now said that before he had kids, he would preached sermons with titles like 10 Rules for Raising Righteous Kids. After having their first child, his sermon title became 7 Guidelines for Raising Godly Kids. After their second, it became three strategies for raising kids, and then after their third was born, it was three suggestions for surviving parenthood. (laughs) So with with that in mind today, we're going to look at four simple verses from Ephesians chapter six as we look at parenting. Now... You don't have to be a parent with children living in your home for these principles to apply because if you have parents, this message will apply to you as well today. So it's really going to apply for all of us, pretty much. Uh, so, before we get into the principles that we see in Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four, I want to lay a foundation for us um, to uh, before we get into those principles in chapter six of Ephesians. So, the principles uh, themselves that we find there are pretty uh, simple. They're difficult to live out, but they're pretty simple. And so the reason that I need to lay a foundation for us first is because we're all coming from different backgrounds. You know, you might have been following Jesus for a long time, and you've heard other, uh, you know, sermons or messages on this topic of parenting, and you're going to filter what you read and hear today through that particular lens. Maybe for some of you, you just starting, started following Jesus, and you're not sure really what The Bible has to say on parenting. And so, you know, you're going to filter what you read and hear today through that lens. So we all have a particular background that we're coming out of. We all have a home that we grew up in, whether it was the best home ever or whether it was a model of dysfunction. And so what I want to do first with you today is lay this foundation so we can approach the passage properly. So first things first, godly parenting doesn't produce perfect kids. Godly parenting doesn't produce perfect kids. Our goal as parents is not to raise perfect kids. Can we just take the pressure off this morning as parents and say that our kids are not perfect, (laughs) right? Uh, I'm not perfect. We're not perfect as parents. So often we fall into this temptation that God wants perfect kids. No, he wants you to set an example and he wants you to make sure that your kids are learning about him to the best of your ability and then we leave the rest up to him. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Start children off in the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. This verse, I believe, gives us hope that if we teach our children, if we teach our kids to love him, that in most cases they will grow up and they will follow him. Now, this is not a promise. It doesn't mean that our kids won't rebel. A proverb is a statement about how life generally works. It's not absolute. So in 95 to 98% of the cases... Uh, what is going to happen is what it says is going to happen, but there are exceptions. So it's not a promise that the child won't rebel. It's a proverb that if you do the right thing, your likelihood of success is much higher. Now let's let's talk about this a little bit more by taking a look at what God tells us in Genesis 1, chapter 1, and what he says in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 1, uh, God tells us about how life should be. In Genesis 3, we see how life got messed up, right, because of Adam and Eve's sin. And I think that we need to be reminded that as we look at Genesis chapter 1, where everything was how life should be, that we ended up having rebellion. And what's interesting about human nature is that no one has to tell you to do wrong. How many of you, when your kids were, bab- were starting to learn how to talk, had to teach them to say no? <laughs> You don't have to teach your kids to say no. Right? That just comes naturally to our kids. And all of us, no matter who we are, are born with a nature that makes us want to do wrong, to say no, to do the things that we are not supposed to do. That's just how we were born. I remember when my son was, was real little, and he started to walk, and we told him not to touch the stove. Do you know what he did? He touched the stove. He would touch the tea kettle on the stove and see it was hot if it was hot, and sometimes he would burn, his, burn himself. Um, Adam and Eve, in the beginning, had no sin, right? There was no sin. They had the perfect environment. They had the perfect parent, if we think about God being the parent, right? Um, and, And they had no sin, but in the midst of that, you still end up having rebellion. So parents, I want to encourage you that what you are doing is not in vain when you have rebelliousness with your kids, If we do the right thing and increase the odds that our kids will grow up and do the right thing and continue to walk with God, uh, that is what we want to make sure that we're committed to. You might be going through a season where you don't feel like you're having much success with your parenting. You don't see the results, only rebellion. But I want to encourage you to continue to believe God for better and to stay faithful at starting your child off in the way that they should go. You know, after Adam and Eve's rebellion, God didn't come to them with anger, did he? He came to them in the garden, and he called out to them. He graciously sought them out. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we see uh, Paul saying there that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. God continued to have a relationship with Adam and Eve. There were consequences, sure, but God, as their parent, still loved them, and he stayed committed to them. In fact, one of the great signs of God's grace is the number of us that have come out of dysfunctional families, and out of that, God creates something new in our hearts, and that makes all the difference. God steps in and creates something good out of the worst situations. So parents, continue to do the right thing to teach your kids to love God. So godly parenting doesn't produce perfect kids. And the second part of the foundation we want to talk about now is ignoring the facts doesn't change the facts. Ignoring the facts doesn't change the facts. Now, there are some parents that like to stick their head in the sand and ignore the facts about their kids. This is what I call the ostrich parent. You you know you have an ostrich parent or you have a friend who's an ostrich parent when you hear this, but they have a good heart. The child has 50 pages on their rap sheet, but they're a really good kid, right? (laughs) Right? I know that she got into trouble with that group that she hangs out with, but she's not like that. She just got pulled along. She didn't have a choice. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11 says, even small children are known by their actions. At some point, we have to let our kids know that their actions do matter. Our kids, as beautiful as they are as babies, are still sinners, right? As humans, we all have this rebellious heart. And it doesn't do anybody any good to be an ostrich parent. Rather, as parents, we want to better understand why our kids are doing what they're doing. We want to ask them what's going on. We want to get the story from all sides. We want to find out what they are doing and why they're doing it. And then help them to see the consequences of their actions, to see through your love for them that you care about them so much that you want things to go well with them and that you want God's best in their life. In Luke chapter 6, verses 43 and 45, it says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. A good man brings good fruit out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, every child is going to do stupid things, and sometimes they're going to do pretty sinful things, right? But what I'm talking about with you today is a pattern, and the pattern is the reflection of the heart that you are dealing with. If I stick my head in the sand and I'm not really helping my child understand what's going on in his heart, it will be tougher to help them come back around to the Lord later on in life. Now, for those of you parents who, are, who have good, compliant, who have stellar kids, here is my encouragement to you as we lay the third part of the foundation here. Compliance is not the same as heart change. Compliance is not the same as heart change. It's kind of like the tortoise and the hare idea. There are ostrich parents, and then there are rabbit parents, rabbit parents like the animal. Um, They they think that just because their kids start out great that it's going to end great. So you have a third grader who's praying the salvation prayer with their classmate, and you think, wow, I've got a great kid here, right? Right? Well, let me encourage you, celebrate the win, but remember that parenting isn't over yet. It's a long road. One of the challenges that we have as a parent is that we confuse compliant with good. We do this with really young kids a lot of times. We, we say that, oh, you have such a good baby. You have such a good baby. Well, what do we mean by that? That they sleep a lot, <laughs> right? <laughs> Am I right? They don't give you any problems, They're easy. They're good. You know, that was not me. I was colicky for the first three years of my life. I was not easy, definitely not easy. But as parents, what I want you to remember is that we tend to talk about babies who are easy, who don't give us any problems, that they are good. So with the compliant kid, we want to remember that compliance might be a good trait or it might be conforming. Now, hear me on this. For a child that's conforming, uh, you know, as soon as they move away to college or to another town, they're going to no longer be conforming to the world that you had in your home. They're going to be conforming to the world that they're around wherever they ended up. And it might not always be a good thing. Now, there's a flip side to this. Some of the traits that we dislike in our kids when they are little are not so bad when they are all grown up. So a strong-willed, non-conforming, hyperactive child is a joy, Right? But you know what, when they reach their mid-30s, they end up being called a leader. And your compliant child is their assistant. Nothing wrong with assistants, okay? No texts or emails. Um, So our job as parents, (laughs) our job as parents is to understand our kids, to shepherd their hearts. We see this idea of compliance, I think, most clearly, this idea of compliance without heart change uh, most clearly, in the parable of the prodigal son, let me summarize that story real quick for you. Um, the younger son rebels. he leaves, he takes his inheritance, he goes off, he spends it on wild living, and his older son, and, and the older son actually stays behind. So he follows the rules, he does what is, is asked of him. He's the, he's the good kid, right? Uh, so the prodigal son comes back. The dad throws a party for him, and as the older son is coming toward the house, he hears the music, he hears the party happening, and he's angry, and he doesn't go inside, and so his dad has to come out and talk to him. And as his dad's talking to him, his dad says, why don't you come inside? What's going on? And the older son says, I've slaved away from you, uh, slaved away under your rules, all of the... I'm summarizing, right? I've slaved away under your rules all of these years, and you never threw me a party once. Okay, What we realize about this older son is that he is complying, right? He doesn't really love his father. He obeys the rules of the house, but he doesn't care about the father of the house, right? There was outward conformity. The older son obeyed all the rules, but didn't have a change of heart. And at the end of the day, we want to make sure that our compliant kid is not just following the rules, but is developing a love for God, a love for others, and a love for God's church. Godly parenting doesn't produce perfect kids. Ignoring the facts doesn't change the facts, and compliance is not the same as heart change. Okay, so now with that foundation poured, we're going to get into our passage for today, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and let me remind you what Paul says just before this chapter. He lays the groundwork for what he actually talks about in in chapter 6. He starts off by chapter 5 by reminding us to follow Christ's example, to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. And then he goes along in chapter 5 and then in chapter 6 of talking about how that should affect our relationships, how that impacts how we treat each other, okay? Okay. In other words, our relationships are a reflection of our love for Christ. So let's look at verses 1 through 4 as we see what God's best is for our relationships with our families. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, or you can, um, this can mean parents, Do not exasperate. Some versions say provoke your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, let me go to the beginning, and if you're taking notes today, I want you to circle that word children, and next to it, write dependent. In the original language, that word means dependent. A dependent is anyone that still depends on mom and dad for their finances, for their food, and for their shelter, okay? So if that's you, you fall into this category, and it also says that these dependents are supposed to obey their parents, which means that we obey to the extent that it pleases God, okay? So that we're to obey our parents in the Lord. That's what it says. So we obey to the extent that it pleases God. So a dependent's obedience to his parents or her parents is really obeying God, right? It's, it's showing them that they love, showing God and the parents that they love God. So let's talk more about this. The first principle that we learn from this verse is that if you are under the roof, obey. If you're under the roof, obey. And this is what I like to call the rule of the roof. And the rule is very simple. As long as you're under my roof, you obey my rules. Have, have any of you had parents who've said that to you? Is that coming back to you now? Uh, have you said that to your kids? Hey, as long as you're under my roof, it's, it's you're obeying my rules, buddy. But, you know, that's actually a biblical concept. So uh, uh, now a word to parents with young kids. You know, uh, for those of you that have kids in Redemption Kids, um, they're not in the room right now. So they're currently learning about how to follow Jesus and hopefully how to obey you. <laughs> All right. So um, and, and just I want to give a little plug uh, while we're uh, here at this spot in the message for our parents' night out. I think a lot of our, us parents could use a night out. Uh, that's coming up March 4th uh, from 6.30 to 9. You can drop your kids off right here, and our kids' team will take great care of them while you go and enjoy a special night out, date night out. Now, what about those kids who are in high school or college or who are young, adult, uh, young adults and mom and dad are still paying the bills? You know, sometimes I think that as teens or as young adults, we get all caught up in the age, our age, like these, these mile markers, these age markers, like 16, 18, 21, and we think to ourselves as uh, teenagers or young adults that we don't, at that point, have to start following, we don't have to continue to follow all the rules anymore. Now, I don't mean that there's not a time to push back or to ask a question to have some sense of independence, and independence can be earned. Right, so I'm not saying that. Um, you know, one of my wife's friends uh, lived at home after college, and it went really well for her. Um, she lived at home uh, again before she got married. She um, came to faith in college. She lived with her parents, obeyed their rules. She had a lot of freedom. Eventually, paid off all of her student loans during that time, and it was it was it ended up really it went ended up really well for her. So let me speak to you, teenagers. If you're going to be under the parents' roof, wh- what does it mean to honor? Your parents. Well, I think it means uh, one. One of the things that it could mean is that uh, you um, should be showing them respect in how you speak to them. Being less selfish and thinking about others' needs in the household uh, more than your own. Uh, how about this? Um, helping around the house more, and do I dare say helping around the house without first being asked? For young adults who are still living at home, my encouragement to you is this. You get the privileges of adulthood when you accept the responsibilities of adulthood. That's when you move from dependent to adult. It's not about an age marker, but it's about taking the responsibilities upon yourself of an adult. In our culture today, what that typically means is that you move out of mom and dad's house. You're paying for your own housing, you're paying for your own utilities, you might uh, you might be married, you might uh, have, have kids. Those are all the responsibilities of an adult. And you have, at that point, you have moved from being a dependent to an adult. So now for parents, there's a flip side to this. Parents are told in this passage, don't exasperate or provoke your kids. The Apostle Paul in, in the Ephesians passage here, he's actually quoting uh, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5, where we have the 10 commandments listed out. And so uh, Paul says, though, in this passage that uh, there's this really bizarre idea that fathers could exasperate or couldn't exasperate or provoke their children to anger. This would have been absolutely foreign to fathers in this day because fathers had absolute authority and rule in the home. And there were a lot of reasons that a father in that society could kick their kid out of the house. Okay? So in the Roman world, if fathers were reading this, they would be like, you've got to be kidding. But the apostle Paul is saying that the gospel changed all that. That in a Christian family, the father, the parent, isn't the absolute authority. In the previous chapter, Paul says that all Christians have to submit to one another, right? So there's mutual submission happening within the family. Ultimately, parents are under the authority of Jesus Christ. So fathers, parents are now under this authority and are to offer self-sacrificial love, not provoking their children to anger. And in other words, don't push their buttons. Can we have, as parents, have an honest moment and say that we can push our kids' buttons? If you're single out there today, uh, have your parents ever pushed your buttons and got you angry? Uh, Or maybe you've pushed your sister or brother's buttons and gotten them angry? You know, I know for me personally that there have been times when I've been too tough on my kids. And, you know, with one of my kids, I had the tendency to pester them to get done what I'm asking them to get done. So I'll ask them to do it, and then I'll pester them until it gets done. And then what do you think happens with them? They get angry, right? They're provoked. They're exasperated. Now, there's other ways that I can approach that, right, Uh, without provoking them to anger. Pestering is not one of them. I could ask them to get something done by a certain time of day. I could ask them to get, put an alarm on their phone so that they can get it done at a certain time of the day. There are other ways that I can approach that so that I don't feel like I need to be pestering them. And so out of my love for my kids and ultimately my love for Christ, I, as a parent, need to stop pestering or provoking my kids. You know, parenting that doesn't push... Your kids' buttons is parenting that is done out of the love for Christ and out of a love for your kids. All right, so now let's talk about some other things that might provoke your kids to anger. Let me just throw out a couple for you. Do you have rules that don't make sense? From time to time, your kids are gonna ask you why, because of something that you're asking them to do or because of a rule that you, rule that you have in your house, right? None of us parents are perfect. We all make mistakes, and I believe that if we learn to listen to our kids, Uh, That there are some rules and things we require of them that we need to admit are pretty ridiculous. One ridiculous rule that I had in our home was that my kids couldn't sleep on the couch. Every time I would see my kids on the couch sleeping, I would tell them to sit up or go up to their bedroom to sleep. (laughs) As parents, we need to admit when we're wrong and at times apologize and ask for forgiveness from our kids. In addition, what my wife and I do is we try to keep things right between us in front of our kids. So, you know, for example, if my, my wife is rude to me, right, in front of my kids, she will try to apologize to me in front of my kids, in front of our kids. If we mess up in front of our kids, we're going to try to make things right uh, together in front of our kids. Now, how about a double standard? Do you have those in your home? a double standard. There's nothing more frustrating for a kid when he gets into middle school or high school than to see that his parents have double standards. We had this rule that our kids couldn't eat in their bedrooms. And then when they hit middle school, they said, hey, why can't I eat in my bedroom when you guys are eating in your bedroom? (laughs) Ouch. They called us out on that double rule. We have this rule of the roof as parents, but within that rule of the roof, there's the flip side We need to be careful not to provoke our kids to anger. Now, what about a son or a daughter honoring their parents? What do we owe our parents? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, it says that we owe them honor. We owe them both respect and support. And that's what the idea of honor means here, okay? Now, I'm going to talk about what it means to respect your parents and support your parents. But I want to first say that honoring your parents doesn't mean that you need to let them run your life. There are parents out there who can be very controlling, and if you... And, you know, you know who those parents are if you have controlling parents, right? And even when their kids leave the house, they still try to act like that. And in the worst case scenario, act like that when their son or daughter is married. For those of you who are married, let me talk with you for a minute. When it comes to Genesis, it says, when when we uh, look at Genesis, it says that a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. You are no longer under the roof of your parent at that point. If you have a parent who says that you're not listening to them because you're not obeying them, you're not doing what they're telling you to do, you can simply smile, listen, honor them, but that doesn't mean they have the right to tell you what to do, to run your life, okay? Your adult life. Honor them, but make your own decisions. I remember a time when I just moved out of my parents' house and I had uh, just started out uh, in ministry to, I was working with college students, and I remember going back to the house I grew up in, my mom was there, I went into my bedroom to collect some of my things, and she came in really upset into the bedroom, and I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, I can't believe that you uh, chose a financial advisor that was different from mine. Now, I had started making some money. I was wanting to do a good job investing my money, right? So I chose a financial advisor, or planner that I was comfortable with. Uh, So she was just upset, so upset that that I wouldn't choose hers. And so I just smiled, and I said to her, Mom, I'm going to stay with the one I have, okay? (laughs) I can do things to please my parents, arrange my life in ways that they are asking me to, but when push comes to shove, your priority is your spouse, not your parent. Now, what does it mean to honor your parents? Let's talk about what that means. We, we talked about what it doesn't mean. Let's talk about what it does mean. In a similar idea uh, here, um, it's a similar idea here to an officer with his superior in the military, this idea of honor. Or maybe it's uh, in, in retail with a customer or in a courtroom with a judge. Um, whether they are worthy of respect, these people, or not, we show them respect, okay? We still show them respect. You know, my wife tries to use the gifts that her parents gave her to honor them. Um, she will, uh, when they're visiting, she will wear that bracelet. She'll bring out that teapot. She'll play that game that her, her mom had given her. It's just a small way of honoring them. So one way that I honor my mother is every year I take my family to Pennsylvania to my mother's family reunion. That's another way that we honor our parents. Now, some of you have parents who have abused you. Some of you have had parents who have neglected you. Some of you have parents that are not all that wise. Uh, And you can still be respectful and show honor to parents like that, but it doesn't mean that they have to run your life. It doesn't mean that they get to meddle in your life either. There are parents out there who have lost the right to meddle because of the things that they've done, because of the things that they've said I can still be respectful and tell those types of parents that they can't come over for di- Thanksgiving dinner. Now, there might, be a time when, uh, t- there might be a time when that relationship gets better, that relationship changes, and I, my hope is that we would all work to improving our relationships with our parents if uh, we have a really bad relationship. We, as Christians, don't believe that relationships are beyond hope of being restored, right? Right? But until that time comes, you can still respect your parents and set boundaries. There's also this idea of support when it comes to honor. So we talked about the respect part. Now let's talk about the support part. You know, when I go to speak at another church, the church usually gives me an honorarium. And that simply is a financial gift to honor the speaker. And that's the idea that's behind this word honor. So honor your father and mother carries with this, the, this idea that when we have financial needs, when they have financial needs, excuse me, when your parents have financial needs, you are to step up and help them with those needs. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, and then read verse 8. It says, give proper recognition to these widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever." Now, in the early church, Paul had a disciple named Timothy, and he would send Timothy around to the different house churches that were around Asia Minor to encourage them with uh, God's word. And one of the things that he was encouraging the churches with was what God had to say about how churches should uh, respond to needs in their church, and in this particular case, financial needs of widows. Here is what the passage is saying. As long as I am not destroying my own family's finances, I owe financial support to my parents who are in need. That's a responsibility that goes both ways. So if you're in this situation, you're honoring your parents by providing financially for your kids and you're providing financially for your parents who are in need. So honoring parents means respect and support. And so then here's the last principle we learned from these four verses in Ephesians 6, okay? This is the last principle. Passing the spiritual torch should be our number one responsibility. Passing the spiritual torch is our number one responsibility. Now, earlier in the month, we had the Olympics, right? And one of the things that happens with the Olympics is they take this torch from the city where the Olympics was last time, and they bring it to the new city where the Olympics is happening this time. And it's the same idea spiritually for parents. That is our number one responsibility to pass the spiritual torch to our kids. When those of us who are parents stand before God, he will ask us, did you make passing the spiritual torch your number one responsibility? Let's listen to Mark chapter 8 verses 36 and 37. It says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You don't want to stand before God and say, it was my number three priority to make Uh, to pass the spiritual torch to my kids because I wanted to make sure that they got into a really good college. I wanted to make sure that they got into a really good job. I wanted to make sure that I maximized their peak performance or their sport ability. I want to encourage you as parents with children under your roof of any age, do not buy the culture's measuring rod. Don't buy it, don't use it. Because our culture is trying to raise peak performance kids, not godly kids. And because that's the culture and that's the water that we swim in, especially in Westchester County, many of us fall into that trap. What are we teaching our children when we tell them to cancel church or cancel youth group or life group because they need to go to a tournament? And because we have a high, high-performance parenting culture, we tend to think that the most important thing for me to do as a parent is to maximize the skill that my child has. i got to get him into the best school. i got to get him into the best college. i got to get him into the best coaching. I have to take him as far as I can take him or her based on the skill that they have. And at the end of the day, we cancel the character things in pursuit of the peak performance things. Now listen, I'm not here to judge you as a parent, um, judge you having your kids in a club program or a traveling team. After all, my kids were in sports, uh, have been in sports in school and have been in club programs. I'm not the Pope. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm just a pastor. You're one of your pastors who's exhorting you to search your hearts, to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. But I want to encourage you that at the end of the day, When you look at your calendar and look at your bank account, what are you spending your time and money on focused on your kids? Is it character or is it peak performance? There's more focus on peak performance than there is on character. Now lastly, if you wanna make passing the spiritual torch your number one priority, you need to set an example as a parent. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian believers in the early church, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Dropping your kids off at Redemption Kids and at Student Ministry is a good thing, but the most important thing is the example that your kids see in the home. Do they see you reading the Bible? Do they see you praying? Do they see you praying with them? Do they? Uh, how do you talk about other people at church? How do you talk about other people at your workplace? How do you interact with your neighbors? Your kids are looking at you and soaking that stuff up like a sponge. At the end of the day, you want to stand before Jesus and say, I made it my number one priority to pass the spiritual torch. The final results were out of my hands, but there's no question about my example, my behavior, my calendar, or my bank account that it was priority number one. Now, parenting, you know, it's so easy to preach on, but so difficult to do. We need God's grace. We need his Holy Spirit. You know, I need God's grace to be the parent that God wants me to be and to cover me when I get things wrong. The word of God, I want to remind you, is a mirror. This message is for you. This message is for you, not your friends. The word of God is a mirror. It's not binoculars that you're to look at others around you who are messing up. The word of God is a mirror for me, and I have no right to judge others. This message is not something that you want to run to your life group about to talk about somebody else. It's a mirror for you to have Jesus talk to you. If you're under the roof, obey. If you have kids under the roof, don't provoke. Honor your parents and make passing the spiritual torch your number one priority. And you know what makes all this possible? The love of God. And to the extent that God's love is revealed in our life is the extent that we're able to love others. So let's pray as we close today. God, it's easy, it's really easy to talk about parenting. It's easy to preach on parenting. It's easy to sit here and listen about parenting. But it is hard to live out. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your love. Thanks that when we mess up, you don't give, give up on us, but that you come to us like you did to Adam and Eve in the garden. You call out to us. You, you, you reaffirm your love for us and your commitment to us. Help us to remember that when parenting gets so hard, that you're committed to us, you are with us, and you give us the hope that we need to continue on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.